Turn your Bible to Matthew 16. We have been studying the book of Revelation and we're going to continue that study. We're taking a little sideline today as we look at the meaning of the church. Jesus wrote to John, told John in the vision at Patmos to write to the churches. The first vision was the glorified Christ in chapter one. Then in chapters two and three, he said, write to the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamos, the church at Thyatira, the church at Sardis, the church at Philippi, uh, uh, Philadelphia, and the church at Laodicea. Now, over and over again in those two chapters, he mentions the word church. The interesting thing about the book of Revelation, after you leave chapter three, you don't hear the word church anymore. The reason for that is in chapter four, verse one, the church gets raptured. I heard a voice come and John was caught up prophetically like the church will be. The first thing he saw was the throne of God. He didn't see God. He saw seven golden candlesticks and there were angels there represented by stars. And when John asked what these meant, the interpretation was the seven golden candlesticks represented the churches. And those seven churches, the number seven in, in, the, in our language is a some number for perfection. The number seven represented all the churches of all the ages. Those were real churches in the day in which John wrote. They were also prophetical churches in each of the ages through the years until Christ comes the second time. Chapters two and three is a succinct look at the condition of the church through the ages from the resurrection of Christ to the second coming of Christ in the, in the air, the rapture. Then from chapter four on through chapter 19, we read about what's gonna happen in heaven and in earth, the tribulation on earth, the glory in heaven. And then we close with chapter 20, chapter 19, the second coming of Christ to the earth. And chapter 20, the great white throne judgment. All those who have rejected Jesus will be taken before the great white throne judgment. Now Matthew 16, the passage Brother Austin read to us a little while ago, is the basis for understanding the church. Turn your Bible to Matthew 16 and let's look at this again. Beginning in uh, verse 13, when Jesus was come to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, that's just below Mount Hermon, if you're sailing across the Sea of Galilee and you look north, you'll see Mount Hermon with the snow-capped mountains. And I believe that's where the transfiguration took place. Some believe it took place at Mount Tabor. Others believe it took place at Mount Hermon. That's where I think it took place. But anyway, you see there, and just below that is Caesarea Philippi. And so Jesus gathered his disciples there and he said, whom do men say that I, the son of man am? 
And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. As far as we can tell in the New Testament, this is the first confession of any believer as to who Jesus really is. They knew he was a great teacher. They knew he knew how to heal people. They knew he knew how to preach. But they weren't quite sure who he was. Out on the sea one day, the ship was being tossed around and Jesus was asleep in the hole of the ship. And the, the storm was so great the disciples thought they were going to all die. So they awakened Jesus and he stood up and smiled. He said, O ye of little faith. He put his hand out and said, Peace be still. And the winds and the waves all were quiet. And the disciples said one another, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey his will? They were not sure who he was. But now, in chapter 16 of Matthew, there's an epiphany. There's an epiphany, you might say. All of a sudden, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, Thomas, all been scratching their head, who is this man? And Simon Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, and Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, you didn't dream this up because you're pretty sharp. You're an intelligent man. The reason you know this is because the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. And you know that's the only way anybody comes to know who Jesus is? The Holy Spirit has to reveal it. You can hear all about him. And you say, well, he's like Buddha. Or he's like Zoroaster. He's like Confucius. He's like somebody else. But not until the Holy Spirit awakens your heart and opens your heart to see who Jesus really is will you understand. And so these other disciples hadn't really understood who he was. And all of a sudden, with great understanding, spiritual understanding, Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Christ. And the word Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, spoken of all the way from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament. Immediately, Peter, a Jew who had become a Christian, follower of Jesus, some have wondered, is this when Peter really became a Christian? You see, you're not a Christian until you know who Jesus is and you receive him into your heart. You can know all about him. You can even be a member of a church and not be a Christian. A Christian is somebody who has received Christ into his heart. And is this when Peter got saved? Well, we'll ask him one day when we get to heaven. But Jesus said, Blessed are you, Peter. You didn't dream this up, not because you're so smart. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father in heaven showed you. All through church, pray that our Father in heaven will show somebody here today who has never been saved who Christ is, how much we really need him as our personal Savior. Well, I say unto thee, thou art Peter. Now, he had a play on words. The word Peter means pedal, pebble, 
little 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 stone. Like you go out to a gravel out there a road that's made out of gravel and you pick up a little piece of gravel, that's a little stone. In Greek, that's Petros. I seen to the art Petros, a little stone. But upon this Petra, big, huge bedrock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A big difference between a little stone and a big bedrock. You go out to the Rocky Mountains, you see great rocks. Matter of fact, you take Highway 40 down toward the mountains, Smoky Mountains, and you go through rocks that have been blasted, huge, huge rocks. Some of the boulders roll down, they have to close the road for a while because a rock has come down, and it's really a big boulder. That's what Jesus is talking about, upon this rock. Now in the Old Testament, the word rock always referred to deity. So what he's saying is, upon this rock, this bedrock, this deity, I will build my church. He's going to build it on himself. The church is not built on Simon Peter. The church is not built on Richard Oldham. The church is not built on any one individual. The church is built on Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And we give our hearts to Christ, we become part of those little pebbles that stand on the bedrock. And Christ builds his church out of that. But let's go on. Look at the very next verse, greatly misunderstood verse. And this is the heart of the message today. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is what he wanted to say to the church at Ephesus, church at Smyrna, church at Pergamum, Church at Thyatira, the Church at Sardis, the Church at Laodicea, the Church at Philadelphia. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What in the world is that? Now, some people interpret this. He's talking to Peter as if Peter, Jesus gave Peter the keys of the church. There's a whole denomination built out of that idea that Peter has the key to heaven. And so you have to go through Simon Peter. Well, Peter's gone now. So who do you go through? You go through Peter's vicar. And the vicar, if you will, is the man who lives in the Vatican. And thousands of people across the world earnestly believe that the only way they can get to heaven is to go through the Vatican. Now, the Vatican man hands his authority down to a line of cardinals then to priests, so you can go to one of the churches here in Bowling Green and tell the priest all about your sin, and he will say, well, you do this and this and this and this, and you can be forgiven. So people go out and do penance in order to be forgiven and go to heaven. This was said to Martin Luther one day. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest, and priests have to confess their sins to somebody. So he made a confession. They said, well, here's what you have to do. You have to go to Rome and climb the steps on your knees, bare knees, that's penance, so you'll be forgiven. He did that. He went to Rome, started climbing those steps, and all of a sudden, God gave him an epiphany, if you will. God spoke to his heart and said, you don't have to do this. 
Remember what the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. And all of a sudden, Martin Luther got up from there. He said, I don't have to do this anymore. He went back to Germany, went to the church at Wittenberg and nailed his 99 thesis to the door of the church, said, I cannot do this anymore. We're saved by grace through faith, not do it by doing penance. He was going back to this verse right here. I will give thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind in earth, and one translation has it, shall have been bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. In other words, I'm giving you a commission. If you will obey me, and you'll go out and tell Richard Oldham how to be saved, tell Ronnie Hicks how to be saved, tell uh, David Alexander how to be saved, tell Chris, uh, Chris Mansfield how to be saved. If you go out and do that, I'll save them. But I'll save them by the message you give them. It's not as if you had some key in your pocket and you go and unlock their heart and you say, I'm going to unlock your heart and let Jesus in. It's not that at all. The key is the message. The message. And so as we look at this for a moment, I want us to think of four things. Number one, the Christ of the church, the people of the church, the ministers of the church, and the message of the church. Now keep in mind we're studying Revelation. This was true at Ephesus. It was true at Smyrna. It was true at Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. It's true today. Well, who is the Christ of the church? Jesus said, who do people say I am? Who, who, do, they, who do they say I am? Well, said some, some say you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets come back to life and, and we really don't know who you are. And then Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, with a great glorious insight from the Holy Spirit said, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is this Christ? Philippians chapter two, verse, beginning verse five, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, not the name of Buddha, not the name of Zarasta, not the name of some president or some emperor, not the name of Caesar, but at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now keep in mind who that is. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. I love Christmas just like you do. Every year for many, many years we built a living Christmas tree. That Christmas tree is a triangle. It points to heaven. At the top of that Christmas tree is an old rugged cross. Nobody can get to heaven without the cross. That's the reason for the symbolism. There are lights on the cross, uh, on, the, on the tree, which represent individual believers. Let the lower lights be burning. All right? Now, <clears throat> Jesus was always God. Keep that in mind. 
When Jesus came to earth, it was God coming to earth. You say, I can't believe that. Well, many have not believed it through the years, and they've gone to hell. No one goes to heaven by being good. Let me say it again. No one goes to heaven by being good because nobody's good. <laughs> We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. Every one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one person has ever gone to heaven by being good. Jesus himself was God. He left the glories of heaven, came to earth to show men how to get to heaven. That had been misunderstood all through the years. In the Old Testament, they had the sacrificial system. They offered a blood sacrifice pointing down the years when someone would come and be the blood sacrifice for the sins of the world. One day in the council rooms of eternity, God so loved the world, he said, son, I love those people down on earth. They're going the wrong way. They're all mixed up. They're all confused. They don't know what to do. One worships this and one worships that. Some worship stones, some rocks, some philosophers, some do all kinds of things. Son, go down there and show them how to get to heaven because I love them. And on the night of nights, God sent his angel to say to some shepherds out in the field, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill to you, men. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ, the Anointed One, the Lord. They went over to Bethlehem and found the little baby Jesus. He came as a little baby, knocking on the world's doors through the fingers of a little baby. And the world hated him. There was no room for him in the inn. When Herod learned about it, he said, I'm going to kill him. God gave wisdom to Mary and Joseph to go to Egypt to escape the fury and wrath of the king. And then he came back. And Jesus grew up in Nazareth. And later, one of the disciples said, Come and see the man that told us all things. He's the Messiah. He's the one Moses wrote about. Somebody said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and the answer was, come and see. You come and see. That, that's what we have to say today. You come and see. If you come and taste of Jesus, you'll never be disappointed. He's all that he said to me. That doesn't mean you'll never have any problems. It doesn't mean you'll never have a burden with sin anymore. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect the rest of your life. It simply means you have an answer. Christ is the answer. You have an answer to life. You have an answer to death. No philosophy on earth has an adequate answer to death. None. There's one thing that can be said positively, absolutely true. Unless Christ comes first, everyone in this room has an appointment with death. It may be soon, it may be late. Some die when they're young. Some die when they're old. Some die in the middle. Some die even before they get here when they're in their mother's womb. But death is part of life itself. It's gonna happen. And so Jesus came to show us, show us how to get to heaven because God did not make man for just a few years here. Life is real. 
Life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art to dust returneth, was not spoken of the soul. The man, the soul of man is going to go on and on and on and on forever. Either in the place God has for you in heaven, or in the eternal abyss, the insane asylum of the ages, hell. You've got to decide where you're going to go. Everyone in this room has to decide. Nobody can decide for you. Your mother can't tell you. Your daddy can't tell you. Your brother and sister can't tell you. They can tell you how, but they can't get you to heaven. They can't say, well, I'm going to turn over a switch and you go to heaven. Oh, my little boy's so good. He never does anything wrong. He'll go to heaven. I've had funerals of men that have said no to God. And some loved one comes in by and says, you know, that little guy, he, he, I remember when he was a boy, he loved horses. And he loved to play. And he never did anything wrong. He was a wonderful little boy. And then when he became a man, he was a wonderful man. He was a wonderful husband, a wonderful wife, a, a wonderful daddy. He was good to everybody. I didn't want to draw a dagger out of my pocket and hit that person in the heart. So they said, don't you know that he's in heaven? I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's what God says. As a preacher of the Word of God, I can't say anything else. I can't say, oh, yeah, you know, he probably went to heaven because he was good. You don't go to heaven because you're good. Nobody has ever gone to heaven because they're good. And that's the reason Jesus came. He was God, tabernacle in human flesh. He's the Christ of the church. Well, who are the people of the church? Jesus said, Peter, you're a little stone. You're a little pebble. And it's out of little pebbles like you that I'm going to build my church. Peter's confession was, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And ladies and gentlemen, when you make that commitment to the Lord, and you say to the Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God, you died on a cross for my sins, you were raised from the dead, you're the living Savior, and I ask you to pardon my sins. Do what you did at Calvary for me. I trust you. That very moment you get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But then he adds a postscript to that. And ye are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So after you get saved, God's plan is for you to be changed. If there's no change, there's probably no salvation. Keep that in mind. When a homosexual comes to Jesus, God can save homosexuals, but they get changed. It may be tough on them, they get changed. When a drunkard comes to Jesus, God can change him. It may be hard, he may have that desire to go back to liquor, but God can give him the strength to overcome it. When a profane man comes who is filled with cursing and swearing and dirty words, and listen, 
some people, even who go to a Christian school, say dirty words. When Jesus comes into your heart, he changes your attitude toward that so you don't want to do it anymore. If you don't have that change, you may have never been saved. We've had a number of people in our church come and say, I've been a church member for a number of years, but I've never been saved. That may be something in somebody's life here today in this auditorium. The people of the church are saved people. The Christ of the church is Jesus himself. The people are those who have gotten saved, saved by the power of God. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, this is the record. Listen to this. This is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things are written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. That's the only way to get to heaven. This is the record. It's what God says. God has given to us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. This is just a little illustration of this. I have a $5 bill in my hand. And I say, I'll give this to whoever has the faith to come and get it. Here it is. Nobody comes. Just one person comes. <laughs> what do you do to get it? All you did was come and get it. Now listen, that's how simple it is to be saved. God offers you eternal life. This life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son of God has not life. The only way in the world you'll ever get to heaven is through putting your faith in Jesus. So the Christ of the church is Jesus himself. The people of the church are those who are saved. Wait a minute there. Very briefly, who are the ministers of the church? Well, God says in, second, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, God has ordained bishops and deacons. Bishops are overseers. Another term for bishop is minister, pastor, uh, and so on. All the same, uh, they refer elder, they all refer to the same person. They're the overseer of the church. They're not the boss, they're not the dictator, they're the overseer. And if things don't go right, God says, why did you let it go wrong? And then he gave deacons who are to work with the pastor, not to tell him what to do, not to run the church, but to be assistants in ministering to people who have needs. The first deacons waited on tables. Other deacons through the years, Philip was a deacon. He went soul winning, great evangelist. Stephen was a deacon. He came up and gave his testimony. He was the first Christian martyr. Those deacons stood for something that was right. They were the ministers of the church. And last of all, what's the message of the church? Very briefly, I've been preaching on it all morning. 
the message of the church, I've given to you the keys to the kingdom. Now he said this to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea, to Glendale. This is the message. I give you the keys to the kingdom. That key is the message. You go out with a message, knock on somebody's door, just say, I, I'm, I'm Joe Smith from over at Glendale Baptist Church. Just want to come by and see you a minute and let you know we care about you, we're interested in you. And incidentally, have you ever given your heart to Jesus? Do you know for sure if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven? You say, well, I can't do that. Well, try it and see. Try it and see. You know why we say we can't do it? Because we've never tried it. Try it and see. You're not going to die. God will help you. They may pull a gun on you. God will take care of you. I've told you before, guns have been pulled on me. <laughs> God has, listen, I love you. Some of you grumble. Some of you tangle. Some of you get mad. Some of you get wrath, filled with wrath. I love you anyway. This man, I went to his door. He said, I'm going to blow your brains out. You leave. I said, come out on the porch and say that to me. He did. Brought his gun out there. I said, now put your gun down. I'll talk to you about Jesus. You know what he did? He put his gun down. In about 10 minutes, we were on our knees, and he gave his heart to Jesus. If you get shot for telling him about Christ, you'll go to heaven. What can they do to you but send you to heaven? Try it. Try it. Go after them. Go try to reach people for Christ. We sit back here and say, well, the reason we're in trouble, we don't pray enough. We don't go witness enough. We, we, we. Well, who is the we? Everybody can work it into your schedule if you try. Different times, different, line, different, different roads along the way. He said, as you go, give the message. Go ye into all the world. And what he's really saying, a better translation than that, as you're going into the world, make disciples of all the nations. Tell them about Jesus. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. And listen, God will save whosoever will come. Whosoever will come will be saved. But you have to come. 1,900 times in the Bible, the word come appears as an invitation. Come, come, come. I like the song, Little Brown Church in the, in the Wild Wood. The chorus of it, the men all go, come, 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 come. That's scriptural. That's what the Bible says. Come, come, come. Now, he doesn't always say come to church. He says come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus in the back of a car. You can come to Jesus at the front porch of a house. You can come to Jesus walking down the sidewalk. You can come to Jesus in an airplane. You can come to Jesus anywhere you are if you just come humbly and say, Lord, I need you. I ask you to forgive my sins and come into my heart and be my personal Savior. And when you do that, he'll save you and you don't have nothing to laugh about. Something very serious. All right. Christ receiveth sinful men, even me with all my sin. 
This is the message of Revelation. This is what Jesus was telling the church at Ephesus and all the other churches to do. He's telling us to do the same thing. At Glendale Baptist Church, if we'll go, I'll be through in a minute, but let me just give this one PS. Is it possible that God has somewhere, somebody with a million dollars, if we'll go win them to the Lord, what will happen? Now, let me, let me give this illustration. Years and years and years ago, I was a pastor in Guthrie, Kentucky. Went out one day to an insurance man. Talked to him about the Lord and about God's church. We met in a little house church at that time. I urged him to come. He came. God began to deal in his heart. God began to use him. I didn't know anything about his money. I just knew he needed God and I loved him. He began to grow in the Lord. He became one of our deacons. He became our Sunday school superintendent. I left there and went to Michigan. After years, I came back to Bowling Green, was here at Gundale. That man retired. He knew I was in Bowling Green. He decided to move to Bowling Green, he and his wife. They moved here. A few years ago, he went to heaven. He left to our church, his estate. You don't go because somebody's got money. You go because somebody has a need. And you bring them to Jesus. Let's go win them to Christ. Go after them. God will bless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We pray that you'll lead our people to go out and knock on doors and bring people to Jesus. And may God's will be done in lives. Father, for someone in this place today who is not saved, help them to come to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Number 350, where he leads me, I will follow. Take up thy cross and follow me. That's what Jesus says. Listen, you have to count the cost. There's a cross to be born. That cross, first of all, is a confession that you're a sinner. That Jesus is the Savior. And you invite him to come into your heart, he'll come in. He'll flood your heart with forgiveness. If you really allow him, he'll give you joy and peace and quietness. And then he'll lead you. This is a song saying, I can hear the Savior calling. Can you hear him? What's he asking you to do? Will you come to him while we sing and while we pray? Let Jesus have his way. <laughs>